0: And for those of you who are here for the first time, are you also totally new to meditation? Any show of hands? Any kind of meditation? To this form, Vipassana or Zen or Tibetan Buddhism, anyone who's not done one of those three, show the hands, please. The term mindfulness, I know, is familiar to everyone now. It's in (coughs) commercials and (coughs) it's everywhere, except in us. <laughs> how many people are, this is, I was informed if I got it straight the 42nd, third or 44th talk in this series. I've been going for about three years. <laughs> I was overwhelmed when I heard this. Uh, how many people have been here for at least three? show of hands? What I'd like to do is just very briefly uh, give the basic uh, sense of what self-knowing, quiet passion, uh, what that's pointing towards. And probably the talks from here on in are a particular expression of that, especially certainly this evening, and I believe last time it was as well. Uh, Self-knowing is different than self-knowledge. Um, In in one sense, it's just language, of course. But this is not the accumulation of more information for you to put in your spiral notebook about the story of you and your life, starring you, written by you, directed by you, edited by you, um, and exalted or hated by you. Um, That's knowledge, and knowledge is something you accumulate. And so you can put it in a notebook. Self-knowing is something that only happens in the active present. It's in a given moment, right at this moment, where you're awake to what's happening. Well, we, we have to use language. What we call self knows what's going on. And often, what it knows is, is something that's reflected back about itself. And its value is in the possibility of learning in that moment something about that which is learning that, and then that's the end of its value. Period. It's not something that's stored up like chestnuts. Its value is in the present moment, in the active present. Um, And of course, while you're doing that, you can't help uh, but learn some things about yourself that everyone learns. That is, even if you've never heard of meditation or psychotherapy, uh, just by living, how can you not learn something about yourself? Uh, and here you do as well. I mean, it's something that would be understandable by everyone. Oh, I didn't realize I was this uh, nervous, or oh, I see that I have uh, uh, this tendency, and so forth. My mother was right. Of course she was. But uh, <laughs> about all this stuff. Um, <clears throat> and so at the beginning, when we practice a, a meditation and Of course, uh, in this particular path, in the Buddha's teaching, um, it's all about the mind. Vipassana is about the mind. And uh, you can't understand what the Buddha is talking about unless you learn about your own mind. You can read our entire library. That will give you information about the mind. Uh, To some degree, perhaps helpful if it's inspiring and if it points you to do why we're here, including tonight, which is... The value of this talk is not, if any of you are going to jot down information, what I'm going to say is not particularly uh, original uh, or even valuable, except insofar as it may uh, urge you or direct you to where you need to look and learn from, and that's you. The Dharma is not up there. Uh, that's not the real Buddha. I don't, know, I, I don't know how to break it to you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> But as we go on, uh, this, uh, as we uh, more and more practice and develop the skills uh, in the meditation techniques that are probably all of you are familiar with breath awareness, metta, walking meditation, endless, lots of, not endless, but lots of techniques. Remember, this uh, teaching has spanned 2,600 years and it moved from India to other cultures and now it's here. And all of them added their particular genius and craziness to it, including us. We're doing it right now. I'm probably guilty at this moment. I hope there's a little bit of, of uh, something of use in it, uh, meaning a cultural spin on what it is. That the essence of the teaching are universal. They're, at least they're, it's for you to decide if they are or not. But if they aren't, then I think we should all pack up and use this building more constructively for something else. We need cinema something or other, one, two, three. This would be not a bad location. Um, as the practice unfolds, and the key of the practice is, well, I'm not going to keep saying as you probably know, uh, has to do with awareness. That is paying attention. Uh, and what we're paying attention to is us, how we live, our mind, both in a formal practice and also externalized in relationship to people, things, nature, objects, whatever makes up our life. Um, and as the practice ripens, and let's say as the mind becomes more calm and concentrated, self knowing is not finding out who you are, but, uh, and if you really knew this may be a little puzzling, but uh, so be it, it's finding out who you aren't. Because what you start to see is that the mind has all kinds of fabrications, notions, ideas, conclusions about itself, images, in pictures and words, using memory, using what has happened to us. And it makes up a very, very convincing image of ourselves. And that's what we really believe in. It's very convincing. And unless someone comes along uh, and challenges that, we probably do our, go through our whole life in the service of uh, servicing that image, strengthening it, enhancing it, making it kinder, making it wiser, richer, uh, sexier, whatever it is you like. Uh, because we think life is about that. Uh, what we're encouraged to do in meditation, in all wisdom practice, is to examine that. Just what is that? Uh, when we say, uh, who I am, or who am I? What is it that we're talking about? Well, as you pay attention, uh, you find out that every, that uh, the mind keeps representing itself to itself as being a this, that, or the other. But as you see it, you see what it is. It's, we've strung together thoughts to create a very convincing picture in words and, some, and in pictures about who we are. People have helped us since childhood. People have looked at us and told us about ourselves told us we're intelligent, we're kind, a little bit slow, whatever the, you know, our parents and teachers told us, and we believe it, and we're still accumulating all of this. And so meditation is seeing into and through that, seeing into and through that, uh, finding it has some truth on the level of, of image-making, of fabrication, it's called, uh, in the translation Buddhist language. Um, it's literally manufactured in the mind. It's constructed. And um, it's not that that's not true. It's true, but it's that. And what we're led to believe is that it's much more solid than that, that it's something that is enduring, solid, and everything that's happening is happening to that. But as you look more closely, you see that even the that is a construction. Okay, that can be frightening, that that, when we find out that 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 is not a that. And as that falls away, if you're willing to go that far, and that, in our practice, we get to it by just starting with our ordinary lives and looking as things fall (coughs) away, fall away, fall away, um, what's left is immensity uh, and something which is called different things, Buddha nature, original mind, original nature, true nature, God, whatever language you like, but they're just words. And I don't know of anyone who's disappointed when they even get a glimpse of that. But um, the approach to it can be daunting and frightening. Uh, so self-knowing is, comes about through sitting quietly and just paying attention. And that's what uh, the sitting posture and places like this are ideally set up for, to protect us with like-minded people or alone at home. And it also happens anywhere else in in life, anywhere else. Um, quiet passion uh, has to do with the fact that unless there's some, you really want to know, you really want to understand yourself, you really want to understand how you live. Uh, it's not, nothing much is going to happen. You can follow the exercises, and that is. Uh, something that, having taught this and teaching it for quite some time now, many of us come to the practice exhausted, emotionally exhausted. Look, I don't want to know about this learning and self-inquiry, which we're we're going to get into in a few moments. Just tell me what to do. Breathe in, in, out, in, out. One, two, count it, put a label on it. May all beings be happy, may all beings be peaceful, may all beings be peaceful. May all beings be happy, may all beings be peaceful. Just tell me what to do and I'll feel much better, right? Yes. You'll feel more calm. You'll feel a little happier. You'll be easier to get along with, with other people. That's not a small thing. Your blood pressure will go down. Now they're finding all kinds of parts of the brain that uh, I get invited to conferences on scientific study of meditators and all that. And I never go, because uh, what I found is all that they say is, and it may go beyond that. I think it probably will, is meditation is good for you. I already know that. <laughs> Okay, so I'd rather meditate than be told by some erudite researcher that it really is good. And then a char- something lights up on the screen, and it, when you're angry, this ter- lights up, and when you're loving, that lights up, and it's that's interesting. But I'd rather just do it, wouldn't you? If you, I mean, okay, now if you're new, you don't know what I, you don't know yet. You maybe know it as words, um, but the passion's quiet because it's not something visible. Uh, the awareness is formless. It has no weight, no color, no sh- shape. And finally, when you get into the profound understanding of what awareness is, it has no age. It's not born. It doesn't die. It's, I'll just leave it, it's, and blank. You feel, it's, it's. Uh, so, uh, why would anyone be passionate about that? Uh, well, you have to find out. Now, <clears throat> what uh, I want to double back a bit, what I've been emphasized, I believe, last few talks, and want to continue with it this evening, is that the the pr- process of getting to know yourself, both in formal sitting meditation, and by paying attention as you live out your life, um, is also a, it's an, it's the art of learning how to live. That's what wisdom is. Uh, the Buddha is often likened to a great physician who diagnoses spiritual illness. And that's a good metaphor. Uh, the Four Noble Truths, are, it's a very much of a medical model. It still holds up today. Disease is diagnosed. You have a disease, it's diagnosed. There's a cure. You, there's medicine, you get cured to take it. Nice or that simple. But this is for the mind. Okay. Um, But the Buddha can also be considered a great educator, a great teacher. It's really another way of saying the same thing, because a good doctor, maybe now that's not going on so much, where, uh, in my experience, people tell me, and physicians look in a book and decide how many uh, milligrams of a drug you should take. But um, great uh, doctors, in a sense, are educating you, telling you, teaching you how to live. Medicine's starting to shift. It's starting to move. In a direction where they realize that pre- prevention—an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure—corny. It's true though, and we're realizing we can't afford all this. Uh, when we never, okay, you all know all this stuff. You've been listening to the election stuff. <coughs> we're all going to fix it, right? Um, so learning how to live again—that's in the active present. It's the art of learning how to live. Uh, I want to emphasize that. Have been emphasizing that and will continue to for as long as uh, this theme holds out. And then maybe I'll make up another title or I just will expire, you know, at the end of it. And that'll be the end of all these talks. Enough, you know, the only way to get rid of the guys, we gotta kill them off. (laughs) Um, Self knowing is something that happens in action. That's the part. Often when we think of self-knowledge, we think of Greek philosophers who are uh, contemplating, talking over what it is, or sitting on a cushion or in a forest. Um, That's invaluable, or in a cave, invaluable. Not too many people are cut out to spend most, if not all, their life that way. We're not, speaking in general. As I look around, probably most of us, if not all of us, are not. We have an active life. And we need a practice that uh, liberates us in the act of living, just as it is. Otherwise, what happens? And this is from this is my personal opinion, capitalized opinion, and personal. In other words, it's a big fat opinion. <laughs> um, we take up a practice that's basically been constructed for monastics. The uh, A lot of the Buddhist teachings have been primarily in the hands of monastics, and if you're cut out for the monastic life, it can be a wonderful path. But what tends to happen in my observation is you can wind up being neither here nor there, neither living so-called lay life, nor being a monk or a nun. You're kind of some nebulous and always feeling a bit inferior, that if I really were going to do it, I would shave my head and put on robes and go off to... Uh, any country, but where the one you're, that you live in or were born in. Okay, somehow that's where wisdom is hiding. Maybe it's in Thailand. Maybe it's in Burma, India. Maybe it's hiding on a rock and, under a rock in Japan. Now China's perking up. Old Buddhist masters are coming out of caves, and maybe it's in China. Who knows? Maybe it's on Broadway. No, come on. Okay. Um, now, learning how to live, to me, is a very, very beautiful but hard-won, hard-won uh, attitude. In other words, to, to, to really more and more have the learning, the mind, the learn, a learning mind. Uh, many, many, my, there's no one mind, as I'm using it now. In the, in the Buddhist psychology, uh, mind states keep changing. So you have the acquisitive mind that's always trying to get, get, get. You've got the doubting mind that doesn't believe anything. Now, that's baloney. He's not either. What do they know? You have that mind. We have a lot of minds. The mind I'm talking about is the learning mind, the mind that wants to learn. Now, right off the bat, we have a problem. Um, again, speaking in general. Uh, speak personally. For me, learning meant, and, I was, and learning was a positive thing in my growing up in the home I grew up in, uh, both parents and people who came by, relatives, valued learning. But that meant from books and in school. That's mainly what it meant. Uh, and the more learned you were meant the more, bo- uh, more books you read or the more letters after your name you had accumulated. That meant you were well-educated and you were learned. You were... Uh, uh, I went to the University of Chicago, and there there was one of the nicest things you could say about a person. That person's really well-read. Okay. That's one kind. That's true. That's good. Uh, but for years, it took me a while to understand that learning doesn't end when you get your... If, some, if, if you've gone to school, I assume everyone's gone to some degree to school, uh, it doesn't end uh, when school ends, when degrees stop being granted. And for those of you who are still in school, it does come to an end. I just want to reassure you. (laughs) Unless you don't want it to, you can get endless. I see people with two PhDs, whoa, Okay. Um, It took me a while to understand, for example, I had a lot of academic learning. And what I was learning, and it was psychology. My PhD was in social psychology. And I knew a fair amount. I had to, just nothing special. Everyone who went through this did about other people's minds. Uh, I had a lot of anthropology. I knew all about the Samoans and the uh, Iroquois Indians. I knew a lot about their minds, uh, and it went on and on. But what about uh, the social psychologist or the anthropologist? What about that person's mind? Well. Based on how my life was going, obviously that wasn't a priority. I was much more excited about reading about someone else's mind than getting to know my own. Because I didn't really value that as being, well, that's not real learning. That's, you know, it's okay. You go into therapy or you're a little preoccupied with yourself. It's narcissism. It's, you know, it's, uh, get off it. Get off yourself. You know, come off yourself. Um, not understanding that it's a dignified subject and perhaps the most important subject there is for a human being. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is not quoting the Buddha or Socrates or Jesus or Confucius or Lao Tzu or whoever your favorite is. That's useful, but those are just pointers. Those are words. So that real wisdom has to do with the act of living, how we actually live. Many things contribute to developing that. And so learning how to live is the art of living. We know a great deal about many other arts. If we went through everyone here, probably you have something that you love to do. You don't do it necessarily because it's for money or to get a degree. If you're lucky, you're getting paid and you got to to do something that you really love to do. That's wonderful if you're fortunate enough to be in that position. Uh, And what we consider an art and we value and I've checked this one out in myself, starting and then with others, um, is official arts. Painting, music, dance, cooking, and it can go on. Uh, You can extend that. These are skills, human skills, necessary, invaluable, and when they're refined, beautiful, and they can be improved endlessly. You can spend the rest of your life refining and improving it and enjoy doing that photography. You tell me. No limit. What if we had that same attitude towards understanding ourselves, how we live? When I say understanding myself, I don't mean locking yourself up in a cocoon, whether it's called a meditation retreat or a cave or CIMC. What I mean is in the act of living, including going on retreats and stuff like that, which are helpful, is what if we really valued that? Because people who love an art they have fun. Like I've been reading uh, Feynman, who was a Nobel Prize-winning scientist, and uh, when he's questioned by non-scientists, they all want to know what this, why you do it, and what the outcome is, and what did we get out of it, and your contribution to He says, I hope it's useful, but I'll tell you, I mainly do it because it's fun. I really enjoy learning about the universe. And it's, if you read his stuff, it's pretty convincing. And he's also technically a physicist and learning. Now, learning about ourselves requires something that apparently we don't want to do, or it's very difficult. There's incredible resistance. Moreover, we're not encouraged to do it, except in introductory philosophy as a freshman. Socrates, he's great, and now move on and pick something to learn that will so you can make a living, for God's sakes. We have to earn a living. I'm not, not putting that down at all. But um, the art of living is inseparable from knowing yourself. How can there be a living that is wiser and kinder and more skillful, less damaging to yourself and to others, if you don't know who it is that's living? You can't separate it. You're the one who's putting your signature on everything you do. Me too. So we better find out who's signing this. And that's an ongoing thing. Now, uh, what I found is there's resistance to that approach to it. By the way, I didn't make this up. There were particular suttas. And I, in the early of this 40-odd whatever they are, I went into one sutra. I, took, I think I took three or four weeks on it, the, uh, the Kalama Sutta, which talked from the Buddha how it's very important to test everything in your own life. Is it beneficial, skillful, or is it harmful? Skillful, do it to yourself and others. Harmful, unlearn it. Let it go and replace it with both mental, verbal, and physical activities that are beneficial for you and for those in your life. Okay, Because one of the messages of the Buddha, to me, one of the most important, he's saying, human beings, we have this rare, this wonderful opportunity to learn how to generate more energy, because you need a lot of energy to get free. The Buddhist teaching is about liberation. To whatever degree you can get free. There may be some. The Buddha supposedly was totally free. Inwardly. I, let's, let's hope so. But can there be freedom for us? Certainly there can, but it takes energy. And it takes interest. And uh, it means learning to look at something that apparently we don't really we resist. Because when we start to look at ourselves, first of all, we haven't been encouraged to do it. It's not uh, w- it, uh, I, In some schools, there are special schools that do integrate technical subjects with self-awareness. More and more, they're springing up. Uh, and they've existed since the 20s and 30s, probably before. And ancient times, there were some, too. Um, that learning uh, about the learner, is inseparable from what it is you're learning. If you do that, it's an entire, that is, learning how to live is considered uh, perhaps the most important art. Because if you learn some other skill system and are great at it, but you're totally miserable, uh, apparently that doesn't bother us. We love reading about how, how all the great... Uh, I remember Dostoevsky, the more tormented I read about his life, the more deep and profound I felt. He goes, oh, I've got to read another novel by him because he's <laughs> suffering even more than Kafka. You know, and, you know uh, until I reached the and say, their brilliance is they're crazy and tormented and they know how to characterize it in a certain way that helps us with our own maladjustments and difficulties and sorrow. And torment. It helps us, but it's very limited. It doesn't go beyond uh, just managing it, getting a certain gratification and satisfaction from uh, seeing it or in a painting or however we do it. This is not to discredit writing or painting or music or anything else. It's just that because we don't consider and I'm, I say, make this statement based on our actions, because I think most people would agree, oh, yeah, wisdom, self-knowledge, very, very important. But you've got to do it. We're not doing it as a race, the human race, that is. Okay. So uh, somehow sanity, compassion, uh, I guess it's not sexy enough. I don't know. Um, at any rate, uh, the quiet, comp- the quiet uh, passion the self-knowing is in the service. It's inseparable. It's inseparable from learning the art of living. The art of, now, when you learn any art, uh, let's say it's um, making the clay pots. I saw a little film on one recent, just a few days ago. Uh, you throw a pot, and then you look at it, and oh, I see what I did wrong, and then you do it again, and you improve where you felt there was some imperfection. Or you cook a meal, oh, there's a little bit too much paprika. Next time you do it a little bit less. It needs a little more. So that in order to learn, you have to pay attention. You do what you do, however you do that, and then you watch so you see the effect of what you did and you see what the outcome is. If it's food, what does it taste like? If it's a pot, is it beautiful? And so forth. Life is exactly the same. It's no different. What is being asked of us? Because I'm going to paraphrase the Buddha uh, a little bit, kind of if he came from Brooklyn, which I know he didn't, but (laughs) it's sort of, listen, you folks down there, you just don't know how to live. You know, like you're all screwed up for God's sakes. Say, let me give you a few hints. You're desperate. You just don't know what you're doing. You're just, you know, that there's an uh, an estimate, 30 million. We killed 30 million of our own in the last 10 years. That's quite a staggering statistic, the humans. We killed our our own other humans. 30 million? Uh, I'm speechless now. Okay, So there's been tremendous progress, tremendous. I'm using the word progress. The human race has progressed. In what? In almost everything but how to live. Almost everything but how to live. Science is extraordinary. And we had a lot of faith in science. We wanted it to do more than, as it's presently conceived of, to do more than it could possibly deliver. Now remember, science had to fight its way out of a stranglehold of authority, religious authority. Scientists had to really struggle for the right to doubt and to question. And they won that right. And then look what happened. Science is... Just extraordinary in what it can do and then the technological offshoots of science that have grown out of that Um, uh, in almost any field you want to mention, medicine uh, you tell me, it's gone beyond what was science fiction when I was growing up and it's just beginning, computers, whoa but we thought that that would solve everything it didn't it can't more, if it was more information, we've had enough information for 50 years. We're drowning in information. So now every, free, I, I can't keep up with it. There's a new gadget that comes out, MP3782, and it's uh, only, you know, and uh, it's uh, Apple had it, but now we've got it and they're trying to copy us, but we're gonna, but they're in court and we're gonna sue them, and what, what is it? it? It stores everything that's ever happened in your life, you know, in a dot. <laughs> Not only that, it follows you around in your ear. And you want to know what you were saying when you were two, sec- two in, in the room? Here's the sound of you in the room. Uh, and oh, you want to know the Encyclopedia Britannica? Encyclopedia Britannica. Here it is. Look up under the aardvark, two A's, OK. And uh, wow, all of that is great, but it doesn't make us wiser. Information, in fact, can drown out wisdom, can drown it out. Information drowns out knowledge at a certain point. This urge to know, to learn, there's just so much information. It's not that I'm down on computers. I have one, and it's great fun. But the art for us is not to reject the beautiful things that science has done and technology and every other field that's progressed, is to put it in its proper place. In fact, one of the meanings of art is to put everything in its right place. When something's artful, it kind of holds together in a certain way, and an artist knows when it doesn't, whether it's in a written word, or visual, or musical, and they keep fooling with it, getting it till they finally get it the way they want it to be. Um, I don't know it, if you ever you know, get finality in that, but certainly in living, I don't see how you can. Now, if some of the spiritual books promise that, great. I've not seen it. I really haven't. I'm. I have my, I, look, I, I did OK in, in scientific things. I can't stop judging what I'm trained in. And I saw as much baloney in Buddhism as I saw in, in a lot of other things, amidst the most extraordinary, beautiful, true things that have helped me and have changed my life. And the Buddha encouraged us to do that. He didn't say, just believe everything I say. He said, test it. Where do you test it? Well, let's uh, give it to the laboratory, Harvard Medical School. That will give you knowledge. You tested it in your own life. That's the only place you can test it. It's either working for you, meaning you're suffering less, or it's not. If you don't mind continuing to suffer, full speed ahead. So how can we turn that around? Uh, Let me... uh, So learning how to live, the art of living, how for what I've found is that when people come here and at IMS and other places I've taught, to begin with, with exceptions, people really are, are exhausted as I mentioned emotionally, and just say, look, just give me the techniques, in out in out. Where should I do it? Tummy. Okay, that's what. If you go to Burma, tummy. If you go to uh, Thailand, nose. If you go to Japan, tummy. How do I hold my hands? If you go to Japan this way, you go to Thailand this way. Uh, What do I do with my eyes? Keep them open. If you go, if you go to China, close. You know, keep them open. You go. Okay, and everyone fine. Just pick one. Of course, we we can't do that because we're drowning in different spiritual traditions. Maybe that one's better. That the teacher smiles more. Uh, It's more ancient. Uh, oh, they have the best books. The Zen people are so funny; you can laugh your way to, to awakening. The Vipassana people it's this dreary, you know. And so, and look at the teachers in sweatpants. They don't have nice robes and uh, no incense and chanting and you know. There's no carrying on. Nothing. You just sit there and what?
1: Uh
0: huh. Okay, so how can we, um, and it doesn't stop with sitting. Tell me how to do the walking meditation properly. And if I do exactly as you will tell me, then I will be just, in about five or ten years, I'll be fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, we'll say, yes, right. So you keep coming back here, become a member, you know, (laughs) all the rest of it. Donate some money to us. I mean, it's how I live. So I shouldn't, I'm actually talking myself out of a job. I might have to get an honest job if, if you really hear what I'm saying. Uh, the Buddha's not here in CIMC, he really isn't, uh, you're sitting on him. Uh, once in Korea, uh, I was in Korea in the Zen tradition there for a year, and our teacher it was a Zen master, and there were two other Americans. They were both monks. I was a layperson, uh, and I had a, I agreed to live as a monk, you know, robes and honor the rules, which I, it was fine. And one of the two um, uh, two American monks was a uh, highly accomplished art historian prior to uh, becoming um, a monk, and. Our teacher said, tomorrow, this is before we start doing retreats, we're going up visiting X monastery and we're going to see the most beautiful Buddha in all of Korea. Well, we all got excited. Even I did. Uh, but the aesthetic uh, energy was awakened in the art historian, like he could hardly sleep. So the next day, the monastery was way up and uh, it was hard to get to and it was pouring rain. And we had these little rubber shoes. And we were in the mud and we were slipping and we were soaked. And finally, we got to the top and we couldn't wait to get to the top and see the most beautiful Buddha in all of Korea. And we, I saw something's a little off here because every other monastery, the monks were completely shaved heads, very spiffy. Uh, you know, these guys were, some of them had hair. Uh, some of them, uh, they, they, were sl- they, they seemed to be like hippies. It seemed like, is this, did we take a wrong turn into California or something? <laughs> but they had robes and they were monks. Uh, some of them didn't seem like they let a few days go by before they shaved and all that. Hmm. Okay. So we got to the meditation hall and we all walked in through the back and we looked up there where we were supposed to see the most beautiful Buddha in all of Korea and there was nothing. Zero. And a sign in Korean which translated said if you can't see the Buddha up here right now, you better go back down the mountain and meditate some more. <laughs> okay. You see what I, if you knew, you must think I'm out of my mind. But uh, the Buddha is, there was a historical Buddha. Let's assume there was. And the, the, the gift left for us is extraordinary. Even the fragments of it It can really change our life. I feel it has mine. I don't know if it has. Some of you have been practicing for a while. I assume it has, or why would you keep doing this? Well, you could keep doing things that are destructive. The human race is famous for it. Every generation gets, we don't want to go to war. We just want peace, and we kill each other off. And then uh, we love our children, and they get knocked off. And then old people send young people to die, and so forth. It's not new. It's been going on for a while. It's not just Bush. It's history. Okay, so it, there are ways in which we don't seem to learn. And what I found is people's preferences. just tell me what to do. Enough with this learning and paying attention to how you actually live. And uh, that requires humility. Uh, because you see, when you, if you start seeing how you actually live with a capital A, throw up city.
1: <laughs>
0: it's not necessarily... Uh, Certain images you have of yourself are going to get shattered, smashed to pieces. In fact, every, no image is true. You'll have some terrible ones. They'll fall apart, too. You'll see oh, you're a lot, in quotes, better than you thought, too. The point is you're not an image. You're not, any of the conclusions that we have about ourselves are just that, that what the mind makes up, however it came to that, it makes up something about itself and believes in it. And then it has to run to meditation centers and therapy and workshops and Omega and Corpallo and <laughs> you know and uh, do all these things so that we can get rid of what we put there in the first place, which is an illusion. Too much. Okay. I'd like to tie this in. Um, what am I supposed to end? Does anyone know? Eight thirty. <laughs> Eight thirty. Okay. Let me link, because the kind of learning, learning that I'm getting at, even has to, the, I'm not demeaning the techniques and the methods. I teach breath awareness. I teach walking meditation. I lead retreats. You just heard, I'm doing one of I'm not down in them. And some of what we do, you could call training, where you do the same activity over and over and over again. You try to do it in a fresh and awake way. That to me is a little different than learning. You may learn from it, but learning is much more open. It's not a technique or a method. Uh, It has a lot to do with sensitivity. It has a lot to do with intuitive interest. It has a lot to do with uh, a fresh, open approach to your life as your life unfolds. For example, if you do the breath, in, out, in, out, you can get very good at that. Will that calm the mind and make it stable? It's been tested by millions of people. For all I know, billions. I don't know. It goes way before the Buddha. Yeah, it's a scientific fact. The mind will settle down. You'll feel a lot better. The heart will feel better. All kinds of benefits. Okay. Now, then you calm for a while. But that isn't wisdom. It's still highly beneficial. It's really beneficial. Um, If you use that calm and steady mind to examine your life, then you're on a wisdom. That's what this path is. The Buddhist teachings are about wisdom. Wisdom includes compassion. You can't have, how could a person be wise without compassion? How could a person be compassionate and have no wisdom? The Dalai Lama calls certain kinds of kindness idiot compassion where on its face it looks like we're doing good, but we cause more harm than good because there's no wisdom, there's no intelligence of a certain kind behind it. Let me uh, So any aspect of practice that you want to, would bring up, and maybe you can in your questions, I welcome them, um, there's the possibility of learning about yourself as you do it. For example, just take simple breath. Uh, what people find everyone I know, I certainly found it myself, is at first, and that can be quite a while, your mind is distracted a lot, right? We all know that. Wild mind, doggy mind, drunken monkey mind. Okay? And the instructions are simply be with the breathing or whatever you're concentrating on. And if you look at it, you'll see that uh, for most of us, For all I know, all of us—I don't know—but certainly people who have done this, and including myself—you'll see that the mind prefers to be in some imaginary future, that's either horrible or wonderful, or a past that's over with, that was was horrible or was terrific, to just being with an ordinary, to being in the present moment. The breath is is, granted. There are other things going on in the present moment, but we prefer the, uh, the past, which is a fiction. It's over. It's gone, never to be returned. It's stored in a memory bank. It's stored in our computer. And the future, which is pure imagination, we're just making up what we think is going to happen. Sometimes it's, and there's a place for that. There's also a place for memory, obviously. But we prefer living in these, in a sense, um, what would you call virtual time rather than real time? Does everyone follow what I'm Real time is when you're alive, fresh, alive, raw, naked. You know, uh, one of my hobbies, uh, I love um, natural healing, especially herbal medicine. Uh, I'm not great in gardens or any, you know, I know a plant, and this plant. I'm more of a gentleman. Uh, I read about it and I use them and I talk to herbalists and I, I just love what plants do. And j- just today I was reading about how uh, the ancient herbalists, like in Europe, this was written by a very wonderful Swiss herbalist, who was one of my teachers, uh, he said that uh, one of the things that uh, they discovered is that uh, one of the ways they learned about herbs is they watched animals. Animals instinctively know what plan to take if they have what problem. They don't go to a workshop at Omega to find out. <laughs> what the, They just know, go here and chew on this, and, they, and they're okay. Okay, If an animal is domesticated, they lose that ability and they'll, they'll eat things that are not appropriate for them. Uh, and then some of them learn from that and realize, oh, because somehow the conditioning of a domestic life uh, removes them from an intimate ability to know the naked, raw reality. There's an intelligence in us that precedes school. And what I'm going to lead to, I don't, oh, I'm not talking next week, for you, out of compassion for you. My ocean's, very, my ocean's very good. Come, um, when, the, when the mind quiets down and all the thinking and education and learning goes into abeyance, we're not trying to get rid of it, goes into abeyance and you enter into silence. All meditation practices go there and you learn how to live in that silence and to see its immense value. The word silence doesn't do it justice. What happens is a certain kind of intelligence is awakened. From that place, your actions are far more trustworthy. They're really intelligent. The real wisdom comes from there, not from memorizing the Buddha and trying to subscribe to all that. That is helpful to begin with. It kind of curbs terrible habits externally, like it uh, <coughs> boxes us in a little bit, like the police you know, try to minimize crime and the five precepts, don't do this, don't do that. (coughs) Okay, So it may be that we're so domesticated and conceptualized that we've lost touch with our bodies, uh, with certain aspect of the universe, of nature. But now let me, in the few moments I have left, uh, link up just the ordinariness of a meditation practice day to day, breath walking meditation, where you learn about yourself, oh, look at that, mostly my mind's interested in the past, that's why I don't want to go to the breath. Well, what is it in the past? Oh, I see, I haven't gotten over uh, when uh, this happened when I was four years old. That might be a clue to face it. Or you might see that people. these are people who t- say, oh, I seem to be preoccupied with the future, I don't like what my present is, so I keep making up a few." Well, if I keep meditating in the future, I'm going to be terrific. But how long have you been doing that? 20 years. Well, are you terrific? Uh, You've bypassed the the present moment again and again and again because your attention's been divided. Okay, Here's the link I'd like to make. When we look at the world, and I must admit, some of this comes out of listening to the uh, election, the uh, campaigning, where everyone is going to, you know, sweep the bums out and bring in good stuff and change, change, change. Even so-called conservatives, they, they want change back to what was better or whatever it is. Okay, And I'm not denying that uh, the UN peace treaties, new legislation, new policies has its place. Of course it does. But uh, in all of these thousands of years, although technology and science, the other way around, science technology, has given birth to genius, brilliance, and it enlists tremendous energy, money, time. That's what we want to pay for. That's what we want our children to go to school to learn, because they'll be well taken care of. That's what we value. Okay. Well, we we don't have energy for everything. And so, what's the first casualty? Wisdom. Okay. We've not progressed. There's been no progression. The learning that's gone on It's not that we're more cruel. I don't know if we are or we aren't, but I have a hunch we're not. If you read the ancients, they were as nuts as we are. (laughs) But they only had bow and arrows, you know, and knives. Uh, We, science has unleashed power that's extraordinary. And when ego is joined to anything, it finishes it off. This is a. Uh, we can get into this in more detail, not this evening. You tell me any human quality that you value. Love, courage, modesty, sex, anything, earning a living. And if you add me and mine to it, like an equation, let's say sex, it's a natural urge. Why should it be so complicated? Okay? Everyone has. Okay, add me or mine to it, and you've got a problem. You got a big problem. Then you put two people together. They got their me and mine, to this natural urge. Throw them in the same bed and get out of the way because it's, uh, you know, I don't know who, where they are. Their body is doing one thing. Their mind is in Toledo, Ohio. You know, uh, <laughs> or making up. This isn't who I want to be with. So I'm making up someone else, and uh, that turns me on. And then when it's over, who are you? And you know. Like, <laughs> So we complicate a lot of things. There's nothing dirty about money, but add in the equation money plus me or mine, and you've got a problem. There's nothing about humility. Add me or mine to, hum- to humility, and you've got self-righteousness, piety, add it to anything. Okay, Multiply that by nations, where by proxy, if someone insults the United States, they've insulted me you know, in the Olympics, or if president, I've, I've seen now more and more things, so a little doll that people have in the front of their cars, uh, so the little doll is holding an American flag, and it says, embarrassed. Okay, um, okay I understand that. And if someone, uh, I remember my Corrado Penso, many of you know from Italy, mm-hmm. his young eight-year-old son, the Italians won some soccer, important soccer match while he was here. He was ecstatic because he was Italy. And Italy was him. Okay, So it's more of the same. What I'm trying to say is, although there's been immense progress in one sense, technological, scientific know-how, we know a tremendous amount about the natural world. We know a tremendous amount about objects, about what to do. Hygiene has improved. Almost everything has improved. And yet we're primitive in terms of understanding ourselves. In the Buddhist way of looking at it, it's called greed, hatred, and delusion which are the unskillful ways of living, where the mind just is either wanting, 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 got to get, got to get, it's insatiable. One of the meanings of suffering is the mind is insatiable. No matter what it gets, it's not enough. And it's looking for happiness in a bottomless pit or aversion. Somehow, if I get rid of this, I'll be okay. If I kill that person, I'll be okay. If I eliminate that race of people, then we'll all be happy, right? Wrong. It doesn't seem to work. Um, One of my main teachers was Krishnamurti, and uh, I happened to be in a room with him when there was a conversation with a a few Indians, Krishnamurti was Indian, and this was after the independence from Britain. Uh, India was free, and they were talking to to (coughs) Krishnamurti, they were saying, isn't it wonderful how we've gotten all our white oppressors out, and now it's just India for Indians? And he says, yeah, I suppose it is. He said, now colored people will oppress each other. You know, And that's exactly what's happened. So something more basic than treaties, than uh, d- setting up diplomatic missions, as vital as that is, having UNs, passing new legislation. Look, a lot of what's in communism comes out of Marx. It's very beautiful. I studied it a lot. Don't re- well, you can report me now. It's over no scare now. Uh, there's some very beautiful ideas. But add me to it in the equation, add me and mine, add ego to it, and it's a nightmare. So apparently uh, what's needed, and that's where, to me, the Buddha is so clear and excels. He's pointing that the, the root problem in the world is psychic, psychological in nature. That's where we have to start. We are, I can't use this word because it'll be bleeped out, up. up, up, up. We are really up. I mean, I could, but then it's, isn't it bad if you're a Buddhist to curse? Well, when I'm not in this building, I curse, as some of you know. You need a little cayenne. To, you know if we're all so good, you know, and we don't kill, we just eat vegetables, and you know only organic food. God. OK. Uh, I'm guilty. So what I'm trying to say is, if we go on a global scale, we'll see that no matter how good the leaders are, if they haven't broken through to some degree to this level of self-understanding, their policies coming out of good values, well intended, are going to be very, very limited. And the history of the world is that. We thought literacy would do it. If the world becomes more literate, then, then everything will be great, right? Not true some of the most terrifying and cruel cruelty that was practiced in the history of the humans came out of Nazi Germany. Nazi G- Germany was a highly educated cultured culture. Just think of who what the German amazing, there were PhDs who got world famous Heidegger and others subscribed to Adolf Hitler. Okay, so apparently being literate is no guarantee. Not really. Okay, well, communication, intercultural communication. And now we have a lot of that through telephone, you know, internet. Well, you know, you probably know better than I do. Has it made that much of a difference? There's something at a much deeper level. Now I'm speaking on a, in other words, we are the world, and the world is us. Now now shrink it down to your life, starting with you and the people in your life. It's the same issue. How we treat others and how we get treated is a microcosm of what's going on on a, uh, on a larger scale, and that is called wisdom. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is uh, the art of living sanely, so that the way we live, and the Buddhist, in the Buddha's way of looking at it, those actions are skillful, meaning wise, that contribute to human benefit, that are beneficial for you and for others. Those actions that are unwise that are unskillful are actions that make that uh, bring about suffering in ourselves and in others. And uh, m- much of the Buddha's teachings have to do with insight. One of the main meanings of insight is insight into the impermanent, uncertain nature of life. Can anyone doubt that, how un- uncertain life is? Because it's, it's changing and not in ways which we can regulate. That's one of the main themes in the Buddha, Buddha's original teachings. The other main theme is skill and unskill. How to live skillfully or, uh, and what's unskillful. And what, if you put it together, the challenge for us, what we have to learn is how to live skillfully in a, in a changing world that's uncertain. Um, I'm, I'm not, and this is definitely really the last point. Some of you I know need to get home, you've had a long day. Uh, I'm not, it's not, this, what I'm saying is not some new age, We're all entering, I know there's some teachers and books which are declaring we're entering the new age where everyone's somehow conscious expanded and we're all going to dance right off into the sunset. I don't see it. I hope so. it would be great. I am not saying if the whole planet did Vipassana meditation, this would be paradise. First of all, don't worry about it. They're not going to. (laughs) Well, how about Zen? Add that. They can do Vipassana plus Zen, plus Mahamudra, Dzogchen... every form of yoga, or gas, all of that, whatever you like. Okay, uh, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that uh, perhaps in some small way, each one of us can contribute to a more sane world, starting with ourselves, which is a great place to start. When we try to fix things before we have, while we still have so much unattended to, uh, what comes out of it is trouble. I still have to ask, answer questions now. <laughs> okay, uh, those of you who need to leave, please leave. But uh, just uh, those of you who stay, it will not be rude to, if you have to get up in the middle of it and walk out. I won't take offense. You may have a certain <coughs> deadline, but I. Don't I'm sorry, you were saying something. No, I was just going to say there are some side. Uh, we don't have too much time left, and uh, please. Everyone, if you raise your hand, we'll, we'll have time.
2: It's just more of a, it's more of a thought. I was th- thinking about what you said about living skillfully. If you're living skillfully, you're reducing suffering yourself and probably others. And I think about this this conflict that I have. I Absolutely love to cook Indian food. It takes me hours to do, and usually the only time I have to do it is late at night, for various reasons. So I start something, and I know once I start it, I can't finish it, or can't just. To stop at the middle, so it's about 1-2 in the morning, I know I have to get up at 7, but when I, when I so, so I, I miss out the next day, I'm suffering the next day because I didn't sleep enough, and it makes everything else harder, and yet at the same time, once I've completed this dish, and say put it in the fridge for the next day, because I'm obviously not going to eat it at 2-3 in the morning, at least I shouldn't, I feel somehow really well grounded for a couple days, So even though life is harder, uh, there's also something that's easier at the same time. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if I'm not, you know, really actually being that skillful or am
0: I... Uh, Let's back up a bit. Uh, During, let's say, you haven't had enough rest. Right. And the next day, is there suffering because of that? Yes. Take a look at that. See, our practice, that's where you look. It's not some highfalutin abstract kind of... uh, In other words, you're paying a price for this. Mm -hmm. And the price is some suffering during the day. For example, you may not be as alert. You may then feel anxious that you're not going to do as good a job, or you know, I you know what you do and all that. Okay. Now, uh, the art of learning how to live is something that each one of us must do. Just like you throw a pot in making a clay, uh, you try it. You mess up the next time you do something else. You cook a certain meal, too much of this, not enough coriander, etc. And so it's the same with this. The art of living comes out of living, or is in the process of living. So I can't tell you what to do. But the guideline is, for example, uh, if there are other people in your life, let, are you married? Uh, close enough. I mean, do you live with? You, I'm sorry, you live with someone. Yes. Is that are you ever a pain because of you doing all this? Yes. Okay, next. (laughs) Uh, You see what I'm getting at? Uh, You have to learn your way out of this. And often there isn't a perfect solution. Um, it, It may be that you just do it on Fridays if you have the weekend off. You may, I don't know the answer. The whole point is for you to, and the guideline is this. If it's skillful, that means as best as possible, it's beneficial. You love the food, it's substantial, let's say it's also healthy, and so forth. Okay, You don't have to throw that out, although sometimes we do have to give up things that mean a great deal to us, at least temporarily. It's just not, we can't have everything we want when we want it all the time. I mean, you can try, but I haven't found it possible. It's a great way to suffer if you want everything, just guaranteed. I'm willing to bet anyone on it. Okay. So what can come out of living and learning Learning and living is just like making cooking and throwing a pot and dance, where or learning yoga. You, you start correcting and seeing, hmm, a little of this, not too much of that, and so forth. You have to learn your way out of the part that's suffering, or at least to minimize it. Uh, do you see what I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. And that is a, on a. Now, we didn't get into the real wisdom that's worthy of the name spiritual. It's not a word I like, but that means it's, this is, let's say, ordinary world living, you know, uh, put on a raincoat when it's raining, you know if it's cold, put on an extra sweat things our mothers told us, you know, just, just practical know-how, uh, street-wise know-how. There's, so that's a level of wisdom. But the deepest level of wisdom is starting to see the, I was hinting at it, this me and mine at work, where so much of what we do is in the service of me and mine. It's self-image. Now, if you, you may find that that's very much a part of this. I don't know. You may find it isn't. Because when we really love to do something, very often those are the happiest moments, because we're ego free. We're just doing it out of pure delight of doing it. And then someone comes in and says, that was great, or that was awful. You call that a, a better Indian cooking at the Dabab, you know, whatever. But, you know, uh, And then suddenly it's like someone took a knife and put it in your heart. Well, who got stabbed there? You know what is it that got stabbed, or what is it? You really think so? You really think that my cooking's that good? (laughs) Uh, So it's it can be more than cooking involved. Because in other words, now what I am advocating—that's what we do on the Thursday night. I'm not trying to get you to come to Thursday night. Is in the ordinary process of living, can you in the process of learning how to manage this cooking and working dilemma, can you also get free on a higher level? Uh, I don't know, and that, and, it, and that is because me and mine uh, is almost in everything, and as you begin to see the role that um, selfing, let's call it selfing for the moment, self. Uh, no, that's no, that's, that's psychologically that's considered good. There's a, in this there's a step beyond self actualization, but that's on the way for sure. Well, it's uh, self-cherishing is a term the, the Tibetans use, and it's a good term. We're basically living to enhance that sense of me, and that's what gets hurt. That's what we're working so okay, so that you can develop wisdom in the process of improving just ordinary living in the world. I don't know if that um, you look a little puzzled. Did I, is that not as clear? Because um. I'll go. We, we'll have time for everyone. If it isn't, I'll. I'll try to give you an example. Oh, example, okay. Okay, there's a sutra where uh, the king, a king who's obese, comes to the Buddha. This is very timely. Maybe I should give a talk on it at some point. It's very timely. He's <laughs> immensely overweight, and he comes to the Buddha, you know, and with one of his attendants. I'll skip the whole thing. It has a comical, but also, and the Buddha gives him teachings. It's a very short little sutra whereby not only does he lose physical weight, but he loses ego weight. You know, so that, uh, in a sense, it's the best diet, better than all the other diets that exist, in that you realize that the me is so involved, the conditioning, i got to have to make me feel good. I don't feel good. If I eat this, I will. Uh, by investigation... Not only do you change your eating habits, but you get free of that which, in a sense, has caused the malfunction, uh, the inappropriate eating. Maybe. Okay. I'd like to hear other. Yes, please.
1: Um, I enjoyed very many of the uh, uh, points that you made during your talk this evening because I felt it was very relevant to my entire experience since I've been coming here over the last two or three years. Um, I've often said in these rooms, and you started with well, people come with a sense of emotional exhaustion. And I've said, no, being me is very exhausting.
0: <laughs> yes. You know, it really and truly... That's the me. point, isn't it? Yeah.
1: And what I kind of hit on early on was the fact that my workplaces is somehow a crucial for a lot of stress. And one of my spiritual teachers decided that maybe I should retire because I could afford to retire. And I didn't want to retire because I felt as though I could retire to a gentleman farm, but it wasn't going to change the me. Exactly. wherever I go, there I was. And that if this was the crucible where I could practice exactly what you're talking about tonight in daily life. Yes. Yesterday somebody called up on the phone, a person I do business with, they were yelling at me at the phone on the phone. And I was saying things like, look, I want to be the best servant to you I can possibly be. I use that word. But then there was another piece that was getting very angry. That's gonna, that's saying, "But I'm not going to be your flunky." Okay. And that's the me mind piece. Yes. Now, that was the me mind talk. So what ha- what's happening to me is is that I, I'm practicing constantly through the day. Today there was a funeral cortege. It held up traffic. People were beeping behind were these poor grief-stricken people in a long cortege going into a funeral. And I heard myself saying, "We live in an impatient world." Mm-hmm. Yes. But it doesn't have to be impatient for you because you can make the change and you don't have to become impatient with the
0: situation. Let's back may I, because you're covering a, I move very slowly, sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. No, no, you're going a good. It's fine. It's All just right. that I'm a turtle.
2: Okay.
0: <laughs> When, you, when that person who was somewhat insulting or demanding, right. and part of it you were able to just say, I'm here to serve you, and you had your... Right. Okay. But then there was another piece that felt hurt by it or angry. Oh, yeah. or no, okay. Now, what do, you, what do you do then?
1: What's happening is, is that, the, that sometimes I cannot be mindful of it in the moment. This is part of the question I'm coming to, is that it's in the pause that refreshes. It's sometimes when I take the breath to calm myself, which is part of the mindfulness, but I get a grip, and I don't make those statements, certain statements like, I'm not going to be your flunky, because I've become mindful.
0: But you I'm see, happy. you could look, if the mind makes that statement, let it. See, otherwise you're in war with yourself. Uh, it, 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 here, it's, a, it's totally gentle. Right. The, the, the suffering doesn't come from what the mind says. It's how we relate to what it's saying. So if the war says, I'm not going to be your flunky, the mind says that.
1: Yeah. I didn't think it would be terribly productive in the context of the conversation to tell him that. No, no, of but course I not. I recognized that I, there was a piece of me that was feeling that.
0: I understand. They, okay, and now I
1: observed it. What happens is... That what
0: happened? I, no, I moved slowly. Okay. What happened when you observed it?
1: Well, I took a breath and I felt grounded. I felt myself. I tried to... So
0: it breathe. lost some of its power?
1: I, I, yeah, I did. It lost some... But later on, I come back and I think...
0: Okay. Now, uh, you and, get there. And, I, and I relive it in a
1: sense to try to gotcha. y- look at it. Okay. To find out. That's where I found out when you talked about the me and mine, and I, I understood that.
0: Okay. I try to understand that part. Of it. Uh, you're all asking very good questions, okay. and in a limited amount of time, I'm going to try to pack a lot in. Okay. Um, as you practice this art of, um, at the same time that you're relating socially, on the phone, face to face, you don't lose touch with your emotional reactions or your reactions. Right. You can learn if you if you value that. You can learn how to do it. So you're looking at someone, you're listening to them, and you haven't lost touch with yourself. You Maybe okay. Now, as that ability improves, you're more able. The awareness is more able to be simultaneously there with the occurrence of the annoyance okay Okay. but to begin with of course and i won't even say to begin with just that we all know what you're talking about Uh, uh, it takes over and then later on when we're home we reflect on it now that is useful Uh, there's there are two kinds of insight one is direct insight and that comes from unimpeded direct seeing, seeing that has no, it's not for or against what it's looking at. Right. Okay. And the other is what is called reflective insight. Something can be learned after the fact. When you you look back and say, oh, I see what happened. And now that doesn't have quite the transformative power that direct insight has, but it it has a role to play. What you find as... It helps
1: you develop the self-known. Yes.
0: Yes. Now then there's the last, there's another step and then this is just going to be a hint. When more and more you start tasting silence, how, how big our hearts really are and our minds, when thought takes a vacation for a while, maybe at first it's just 30 seconds and it can be extended and you find there's a place in consciousness that we, that we didn't know existed. And with, you might need some help, but you, you know, it's, so, uh, it's such that in and of itself it's convincing. You, you rest there. Uh, from that day on, everything else changes uh, so that the, the uh, person who then insults you again, if we could have a replay, like, you know, Groundhog Day, if we have a replay, um, uh, it's coming to a much bigger consciousness uh, which, uh, so that it may stimulate a little bit of a reaction, but it's not quite as potent. So it's one seeing, and, and also this is what's, seeing that you're suffering because of, of the predominance of me or mine. It's important to see that. Oh, yeah,
1: I, saw that. I yeah. can see that. Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: So there are two. You see, it's a kind of carrot. What is it? It's a stick? Carrot stick. Yeah. One is you see, when I do this, whack. But then when I don't, when I'm aware, it feels different. It's good, much better. And so little by little, the mind starts shifting and learning its way out of reactions that produce suffering. Uh, and that's what I mean by the art of learning how to live. It's done in the act of living, and each person has to do it for themselves.
1: And, and, and what I want to say is, is that, from what I've learned here, that, in fact, is what we just said right now, you just, is what my practice really is. So, I,
0: OK, let it be that. You don't need any more. Yeah. Okay. No, keep developing concentration and yeah, right. studies, because then your mind will be more fit to do what we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. There was another hand somewhere? Please. Um.
3: I, just listening to the, the other uh, people who had questions and what you said, I'm kind of relating to it, um, uh, connected with a problem I've had for several years of sleeping, and the, the sleep the sleeping problem is in itself, you know, it has been difficult. But I also have that thing that's very fashionable now in this commercials for medication on television: RLS, restless leg syndrome. And I've had it for years off and on. With that nice time.
0: little stick figure that kind of moves yeah, its legs. yeah. yeah.
3: Well, one, about three or so years ago, um, and I was really suffering. The sleep was all disturbed by the RLS, but I just also wasn't sleeping. And um, different people suggested I go to a sleep clinic. And I did go, and I explained everything about my history and everything to this guy who was running the program. Which, of course, was being sponsored by a pharmaceutical company. And I'm very... Uh, I, hate, I really hate, me- you know, pharmaceuticals and medication and things like that. And, um, would be more, would be happy to go in the herbal route such as you, Doctor. Are. And so I participated in this terrible sleep clinic. I stayed overnight with electrodes. And, and the upshot of it was, um, he... Gave me free sample. I didn't even have to pay for it. The whole program was pretty pricey. It was supposed to be, you know, covered by Medicare and all this stuff, but um, there were, you know, extras. And he gave me this medication, different uh, levels of potency, start off small, 0.25, and what and it was disastrous and it made me severely depressed. And I caught on to what was happening. I didn't know what was the matter with me at first, and then I realized it was it was definitely because I had increased it. I had it mm-hmm. stage two. Anyway, um, just what you were recommending to different people, the cooking and even, you know, losing patience and saying, uh, feeling differently from what you say to people. Um, what I've done, and, it's, and I'm so pleased, I, I, you know, stopped taking the other thing. I had nothing more to do with it, and I, I was... I, over the years, off and on, I've done yoga for years, and I discovered, first of all, that um, I, I, I learned different things about trying to get to sleep, like if I stay up too late, um, I get a second wind, and then I don't get to sleep at all. So I have to go to bed at a reasonable, you know, by 10, to say. Um, or if I read something, you know, I can't read anything at all stimulating, I have to read favorite books over and over and things like that. Oh, I did too wide away. All these different little, mm-hmm. little tweakings going on. And it's been really, really good. Every so often it's thrown off and then I think about it and I can kind of figure it out. As far as the RLS goes, I learned that doing a couple of specific yoga positions, which involve like what they call hip openers, you know, the joints mm-hmm. kind of going different yes. way. Totally helpful. So in the middle of the night, if I'm awake and the legs are jerking around, I just get up, do one of those bad night I might get up twice, you know, do one pose the first time, go back to bed, wake up later, do the other one. And it's really just over time, just trying this and I'm just so happy that Mm -hmm. that's what did it. And and then, you know, I get back into bed and I go right to sleep and um
0: Okay, may I may I go ahead, finish no, your and sentence. That's all. Okay, may I ask it's kind no, of it's, like a, an example of what Yes, you're it, it is. How might meditation be useful for you? This I do
3: meditate a lot.
0: No, but that that's oh. th- that I don't know what that means. Everyone says that oh. now. I meditate you know, i was aware of it, I noticed it. I don't know what they're talking about. Okay. Um, <laughs> here's my question. Is there any suffering in your life? What are you wasting your time here for? Go to a good movie, for God's sakes.
3: Well, um, no, it's not. I wouldn't call it suffering. Sometimes, yes, I've had
0: suffering. Okay, know, because lost a loved one and things like that. Okay, yeah. the, my point is simply: uh, what place do you need? What place might meditation play in your life? This form of, do you know what this form is? Are you very new to it? Uh,
3: well, I'm, I'm not formal. No, do you know what
0: I mean when I say Vipassana meditation? No, I guess I don't. Know. Okay. Uh, because then I want to do, do what you're saying justice, but we'll be talking in two different languages because <laughs> I'm assuming uh, something that is maybe may of no interest to you or you haven't had experience with it yet. So what I would suggest is if you want to know what it is, Tuesdays from 6 to 7.15 is a drop-in. And it'll give you a taste of it because it can help you with the rest of your life. But the attitude that you had of learning your way out of it was consistent with what I'm saying. It's just that uh, there's more to go probably. I don't know you, and if I'm wrong, I apologize. But probably there's a good deal more to go than just being able to fall asleep. And so this can help you with that. That's all.
3: I'm dealing with at the moment is attaching on to outcomes based on corrections I've made in the art of living. Mm-hmm. Yet it's kind of ironic because you make you're trying to make that correction but then you're attaching on to the outcome of that correction. Do you
0: mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying? I think so.
3: And I'm wondering what you have in terms of advice for
0: that. Well, it's just uh, let's check to see if we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. Um <clears throat> the art of living is ongoing; it does not end, and probably any true art does, because it finally, is how to die, how to die at peace. Okay, so dying is not some specialty that only hospice workers do. Uh, dying is can't be separated from living, except our, uh, the modern world has amputated it, and so we we put that way off, and.